Hallelujah. Thank you, worship team. That was beautiful this morning. Don't you just love how God anoints all of our worship leading team to bring us together and help us to, to taste God's presence in fresh ways. I love that. If you were here last Sunday, you'll know that we were talking about identity. And if you weren't here last Sunday or you're listening to this because you're not here this Sunday, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to last Sunday's recording because really you can't build anything on any other foundation than your identity in Christ. You know, any of you who have got any familiarity with construction, you'll know you've got to have a good foundation. Many of you have been to our home. You know, we put an addition on our home. Well, we didn't realize when we hired somebody to do the foundation, he didn't actually know how to read the plan. And so our foundation wasn't up to code when we put the foundation in and we had to go through and do a bunch more work. Now, we were able to resolve it, thankfully. (laughs) Um, Wasn't too major. But it was an illustration for me of how important our foundation is. And your identity as a child of God, is an essential foundation. It's a vital foundation. Even Jesus started with identity, didn't he? You are my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. Now, if Jesus starts from a position of a foundation of identity, how much more do you and I need to do that? And that's where we are beginning from as we look at this. And remember, I added for you a a suggestion of how you see your identity in Christ. I am a lover. Because you see, God is love. Is that correct? Catch my theology here, all right? God is love. Not God loves, but God is love. And I'm made in God's image. Is that correct theology? Yes? Yes. 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 Okay. So, therefore, I love Jesus, he loves me, and I love you, and, and you love him. And it's like the more we can demonstrate love because of who we are in Christ, because of our identity, then the more it it grows. And we were looking at uh, John's letters, weren't we? 1 John, 2 John last week. And those letters show us love in action and what God is, is showing us through Jesus from the disciple who Jesus loved. <laughs> the one who was closest to him out of all the twelve. He's the guy who knows about love, and then his letters are written when he's much older. Yeah, when he was a disciple, he was probably Corey's age. Just pick on Corey. Something around there, right? He's a young guy. By the time he's writing these letters, he's older than me. I'll say that's old. He's had time to think on it. Struck me the other day, I gave my life to Jesus when I was your age. That means I've been following Jesus a very long time. But I want to tell you this. It grows. My comprehension of the love of God has gone deeper, has grown wider, and has borne more fruit. And I know the same is true for all of you. None of this is in my notes, but never mind. In 1 John, 
There's one other verse that I wanted to pick out that I didn't get to last week. It's in chapter 4, verse 14. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. In other words, what other people get from you that draws them to Jesus, testifying, right, comes out of your experience of his love. We have seen and we testify. Think about it through John's eyes for a second. He's the guy who was chosen and pulled in and follows Jesus for three years. And at the Last Supper, he's the one with his head on Jesus' chest because he's the closest. And he's the one who Jesus loved, the one who Jesus connected with his mother when Jesus is on the cross, saying, this is your mother, mother, this is your son. There's a closeness there. There's a love there. And then it's percolated and brewed in John. Carol was joking about coffee earlier. Coffee's better the longer you brew it, the stronger it gets, yes? There's a term for the kind of coffee that you can see Jesus through. (laughs) It's called lighthouse coffee. It's blinking near to water. Okay, you lost that one, but never mind. But John has been percolating the love of God. And he says, we've seen and we testify. And I want us to think this morning about following Jesus and fulfilling the final instruction of Jesus, which is to make more followers. Because I think for most of us, if you've been a follower of Jesus yourself for any length of time, you may have fallen, like I fell, into a religious trap of thinking you've got to try harder to win more people, and therefore you've got to rush around and twist more arms so that people make more decisions so that you fulfill what God said. And, and I've begun to learn that that's upside down and unproductive. So I want us to think about following Jesus through the lens of what I just said from 1 John chapter 4. We've seen and we testify. We see in you what God has done already. And as God does more, we see more. And it's not just us who are your church family, it's the people all around you. See more. Because God's doing more. Now, don't hear me wrong here. I'm not saying you don't go out and and witness to people. Yes, you do. You need to give a reason, an answer for the hope that you carry. But don't be grabbing a Bible and going and beating people over the head with it to try and make them make some decision that agrees with what you agree with or something, right? Because that hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. Forgiveness practice. (laughs) So let me ask you a question. How did Jesus start gathering people? In love, yeah, okay. This is is not a trick question, by the way. Think about how Jesus started. Yeah. There you go. Say that again louder. Follow me. It's like, hey, follow me. 
That's what he did, wasn't it? Sounds pretty simple. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Because that's what he told us to do. Follow me. Turn with me to John chapter 1. Let's stick with John for a moment. But this is the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And towards the end of that first chapter of John, let's see one time where Jesus did that. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. Huh. Okay. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael. And he said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What he's saying there in, in Jewish technical language is, we found the one we're all waiting for. We've found the Messiah, the one who's going to come from God to save us all and change everything. And Nathaniel's reaction is, is glorious. Especially in a world like today's world where so many people think that God is irrelevant and Jesus is biased and, and all of that. Nathaniel says, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> yeah? It's like the people who say, can anything good come out of Myrtle Beach? Well, Jesus is our model, people. <laughs> can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Check it out. You see what's happening with Philip? What did Jesus say to Philip? Follow me. And Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see. Follow me. Same thing, right? <laughs> and Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. And he said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Well, the older translations have a man without guile. Do you know what they're referring to there? We call it southern politeness. It's pretending. It's the kind of behavior, the kind of belief system where bless your heart can mean you are a blank. I'm sanitizing for the sake of the recording, right? Just sometimes. Just sometimes. Yeah, you kind of have to live here for a few centuries to understand whether bless your heart means bless your heart or bless your heart means something different, right? Because we're good at pretending. We're nice. Do you know how I know that? Because English people are nice too. He said, pushing Laura and Jane under the bus with him. <laughs> We know how to pretend too. Because actually it's a built-in human trait, isn't it? But Jesus looks at Nathaniel and says, here's a guy who shoots from the hip. Here's a guy who talks straight. Because Jesus knows Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? Nah. 
That's my paraphrase, but that's basically what he said, right? So <laughs> Jesus says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. That's quite a compliment, actually. Here is a true Christian who's not pretending, to put it in today's language. How many Christians do you know you can say that about? I pretend sometimes, and I bet you do too. But Jesus values being real. Even though, by our standards, Nathaniel just pushed Jesus away. Okay, I'm supposed to be reading this, not explaining it. <laughs> Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What? <laughs> you weren't there, Jesus. <laughs> no, but I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, teacher. You are the Son of God. Because he has to be, right? If Jesus could see Nathaniel going, nah, to Philip, <laughs> when Jesus wasn't even there, there's got to be something supernatural going on. Yeah? I want you to catch the supernatural stuff that's happening in this little passage. Because Jesus then goes on and says, Do you believe because I said to you I saw you under the fig tree? Is that why you're believing? I mean, it's good that you're believing, but is that why? <laughs> You'll see greater things than these. You'll see a greater thing than a simple word of knowledge that you said, bleh, under the fig tree. <laughs> You'll see much greater stuff, Nathaniel. Which, of course, he's going to because he's going to follow Jesus around and he's going to see lepers cleansed and paralyzed people getting up and walking and widows having their dead children restored to them and Lazarus coming out of the grave and, and Jesus being crucified. Nathaniel's going to see some amazing stuff. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wow. Basically, Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, you, because you are connecting with me, you're going to see an open heaven, just like Jacob saw. Because here's an Israelite, a Jew, who knows the stories of the past the accounts, remember Jacob laid down with his head on a rock <laughs> and he sees this vision of a ladder or a staircase and angels ascending and descending and he calls that place the house of God. It's the gateway of heaven if you like because he sees God wants to connect with people. God wants to connect with people. So here's what we've just read. Number one, be found by Jesus. Have you been found by Jesus? Good. Because Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip. Oh, here's Philip. <laughs> here's Ira. Here's Jeannie. Here's Kate. 
each of you. Here's you. Jesus found you, right? That's good. And you've got to say yes to following, like Philip did. <laughs> right? Which you have. Yes? Yes. Good. That's a good choice. And then you tell your friends that Jesus is who they're looking for. That's what Philip did. Hey, Nathaniel, we found the one we've all been looking for. Hey, Joe, you're looking for peace. I know someone who can help you find peace. Hey, Mary, you need healing in your life. I know someone who can heal you. Whatever it may be. Hey, neighbor, you need friends. I know someone who wants to be your friend. Hey, child, you've turned your back on religion, but I know someone who made you not for religion, but for relationship. All of those things. We've got a friend who's who you're looking for. And then you know what Jesus does when we tell our friends and our neighbors that we know someone that's who they're looking for? Jesus shows up and shows them that he knows far more about them than we do. Right? God does supernatural stuff when we do the natural stuff. And that's beautiful. Because, you know, Jesus wants your friends and your family and your workmates to know him far more than you do. He's very happy to show up and do more than you could ask or imagine. When you simply tell them, hey, I know who you're looking for. And he'll show himself to them in ways that they really can't deny. Because what he wants to introduce us to is this open relationship with God. That's what the open heaven really implies. That you are created to have an open relationship with God. Not one that's based on performance or, or getting the rules right or doing all the right bits and pieces. No, an open relationship with God. And angels ascending and descending. Quick side note, Bill Johnson's message on the Bethel Sermon of the Week, I think from two weeks ago, July 17th, is all about that whole thing with Jacob and the angels, and I recommend it highly. Please listen to it. Jane and I have listened to it several times, and it really kind of gets in deep inside of you. But that process repeats. It's like you drop a rock in a pond and the ripples spread out. In the other Gospels, not John's Gospel, but in the other Gospels, the name that's used for this same disciple is Bartholomew. He's Nathaniel in John's Gospel and he's Bartholomew in the others. Don't ask me why, I haven't figured it out, but some textbook somewhere will tell you. But it's the same guy, right? Same guy. Just like you might have a nickname or whatever. You know, that's what it could be. I don't know. But anyway, he's in the other Gospels as well. And church history tells us that this disciple, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, after the ascension, he carried a translation of Matthew's gospel all the way to northern India in his evangelizing. 
There's a legend that he was actually crucified upside down in Albania. In other words, this is a guy from long ago who made a huge impact. And it all started under a fig tree with a friend who said, hey, I found someone you'd like to meet. And there are people in our world today who God has plans for to make an impact. And you and I know them. And simply by saying, hey, why don't you follow me following this guy who wants to know you? We can open the door to all of that kingdom impact that God has in his heart. Let me ask you another question. There's only two questions this morning. It's not like last week with lots of questions. But let me ask you a second question. Why was Jesus gathering people? We asked, how did Jesus gather people? And the answer's pretty obvious. He just went up and said, hey, follow me. <laughs> but why was he gathering people? Mm-hmm. Spread the good news. And the, what did you say, Chad? Make, make disciples and apostles. Yeah. Annette? Because he was God in the flesh. And he loved people. Okay. Yes. I love it. The answer that I think summarizes all of the answers we've had is that Jesus wants to reconnect human beings with God. For the very reason that Annette just said. He's God in the flesh and he loves every one of us. But Jesus' purpose in gathering people is to reconnect us with God. Because we live with a problem, don't we? We're naturally kind of disconnected from God and we need to be reconnected. And Jesus came to reconnect people with God. That's why you've got segments in the Gospels, you know, stories and accounts of things like, I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. Or you're like sheep without a shepherd. Or there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost one who comes home than over 99 who never left in the first place. He's all about reconnecting us with God. Because God is love. You see why your identity is so important? <laughs> it's the source of your reconnection. It's the, it's the confirmation of your reconnection with him. You notice also how Jesus would condemn all the religious people who put obstacles in the way of people reconnecting with God. That's why he was so down on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because they kept saying, oh no, you've got to do this or you've got to do that. He wanted us to be reconnected with our Heavenly Father. He wanted to remove the obstacles and demonstrate that God is love. Not just talk it, but demonstrate it. Right? Interesting in Mark chapter 3, when he appointed, Chad mentioned about appointing apostles, that he chose 12, didn't he? Out of the crowd, he chose 12 specific ones to be with him. Did you catch that? He didn't choose them to be super saints. 
He chose them to be with him, it says. He's like, be with me. Come stay at my house, would be our equivalent today. Okay, Jesus didn't have a house. but <laughs> Be with me. Think that through for a moment. Suppose you found somebody and just said, hey, come live at my house. Assuming that's a, a, an open-hearted, good person, That person's going to want to know what's important to you. How do you do things? How does your how does your house run? You know, do we lock the door at night? Do we turn the lights off when we go to bed? Do we who makes the coffee in the morning? I mean, these are important questions, right? Or imagine if I invited you to come and live at our house. You'd want to know, well, well you know, do you want me to take my shoes off when I come in? Um, is it okay if I sit in this chair? Can I play Jane's piano? You, you want to know what's important to the ones who own the house, right? Well, it's just the same when Jesus invites people to be with him. Our response as good-hearted people is, well, what pleases you, Jesus? What's it like to hang out with you? Let me experience what it's like to have a meal with you. Let me enjoy what it's like just being around you and seeing how you are. Do you catch the analogy? He invited them to be with him because he wants to connect us with God, to reconnect us. And even, I said we were starting to talk about the, the Great Commission, didn't I? If you look in Matthew 28, in fact, let's turn there. Uh, as our sort of final passage to go to. In Matthew 28, it says that the 11 disciples went to Galilee, this is verse 16, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's still... Our commission as Jesus' followers, isn't it? It, it? it goes on through the ages until Jesus comes back and closes out this age. He's inviting us to do what he did. To remove obstacles to being reconnected with God. That's why he healed people was because their diseases and their, their sicknesses, they felt disqualified them. They were unclean. They couldn't connect with God. That's why he cast out demons that would distract and, and taunt and, and make us not aware. He wants us to make disciples, the translation says, except that when you look back into the original version of this, it's just one word. So it's not make disciples as in, you know, I come and I get hold of you and I shake you around a bit and I make sure that you know what you're supposed to do and, and, and now you've got to follow me and now you're going to turn around and, and, yeah, and you grab Corey and you make sure you shake him around a bit and tell him what to do because I told you what to do. I mean, I'm exaggerating for the sake of clarity. 
But the word is simply disciple. Multitudes. All of the everybody's. <laughs> it's not even nations. You know, we have nations have borders and governments and things. He's talking about every kind of people. You know, the black people, the yellow people, the white people, the pink people, the, uh, everybody. All of the different kinds of humans disciple just as you're going along. Can I get a little bit technical for a second? The verb disciple is a noun as well, but it's a verb, it's a doing word, it's a lifestyle. It's in the aorist tense. Now you've all glazed over. <laughs> Let me explain what the aorist tense means. It means that it's, it's a doing word, it's a lifestyle word that doesn't have any reference to how far along the process you've got. You just keep doing it. Or whether you've finished or not, how long it's taking, you just keep doing it. Or even... Um, whether you've finished. It's like, just do it. Nike, just do it, is the aorist tense. Kind of, not quite. A Greek linguist would slap me for that. But it's that whole kind of continuous, just keep doing it, is the sense of that. So Jesus is saying, constantly... Reconnect people with God. When you get up and you look on your phone and you've got a message from somebody, how can you respond to that message in a way that reconnects them with God? When you walk into work and that person that doesn't like you walks down the hallway with you, how can you help reconnect them with God? Or your family is being your family again. <laughs> you, you get my meaning? <laughs> of course, all our families are beautiful and wonderful all the time, aren't they? In this situation, where my buttons are being pressed again, how can I respond in a way that helps all of us reconnect with God? Because that's what Jesus came for. It's as I'm driving down the highway. Most of my illustrations about being ungodly involve driving down the highway. Because that's where I see it most clearly in myself. But as I'm driving down the highway and that idiot cuts me off. Oh, did I say that? How can I respond in a way that doesn't create an obstacle to them being able to reconnect with God? Now I've gone from preaching to meddling, haven't I? How can I live my life in such a way that every person I bump up against has an opportunity or a, 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 the right climate, the right atmosphere to be able to connect more deeply with God? It may be something I say, or it may be something I do, or it may be nothing of that, just simply who I am. But are people drawn to God by who I am? Sadly, 
they're not always. Because I'm quite capable of being not at all like Jesus. And I'm sure that most of you are too, sometimes. But the beauty of our connection with Jesus is there's always forgiveness for when we mess it up. And there's always the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to help us next time to make more of a difference. So it literally says... Hey friends, well okay, the translation says Jesus came to them and said, but this is the 11 that are left and he's alive again and they've been with him for three years. That's a pretty deep friendship. It's not just a Sunday morning, hey, how are you, is it? Right? This is the guy they've hung out with for three years. They saw him crucified. They've seen him raised from the dead. And now he meets them back on home turf. They're in Galilee, where it all started. Where Nathaniel was under the fig tree, when Philip said, hey, we found the Messiah. So Jesus, their best friend, comes and says, hey, friends. I'm already in authority over everything. How would your day go if the moment you opened your eyes, there was Jesus right there saying, it's okay, I'm in control of all of this? <laughs> because he is. He's big enough. Now, is he controlling every detail? No, he's not. This is another message for another day. But don't confuse control with authority. Jesus is very uncontrolling and very full of authority. Right? You just have to take that at face value because I don't have time to unpack it. But if Jesus was to stand next to you, as soon as you put your foot on the, on the carpet and getting out of bed and said, I'm right with you. Oh, and by the way, I'm ruling over everything. That might make a difference, mightn't it? How would that affect the way that you deal with your awkward neighbor? Or that person who lives in the same house as you? How would that change it? Oh, and by the way, as you go about your life, make it easy for people to reconnect with God. Make it easy. I'm not telling you to do anything you're not already doing. What I love about all of you is that I see this, this principle working in you. But I'm hoping by drawing attention to it that I'm going to cause it to grow. Help people into restored relationship with God. Show them how to live out what I said, Jesus said. Right? Teaching them to obey all that I taught you. Because I'm still here with you all the time, even when it gets tough. Holy language, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The end of the age 
was code language for it's going to get bad. It's going to get tough. But Jesus is like, don't worry. I'm here. I'm with you. Now, don't go around looking for it to get worse. Because if Jesus is with you, it can get as worse as it wants, can't it? He's already won the victory over all the worseness. That's not a word, but I just made it a word. <laughs> you knew what I meant. Okay. So don't leave anybody out, but live a life of invitation to reconnection with God. Would you like a relationship with Jesus like my relationship with Jesus? Oh, you can't see my relationship with Jesus. Well, maybe I need to make some changes so you can. Would you like a relationship with Jesus like my relationship with Jesus? Follow me as I follow him. And I don't get to do this independently. I get to follow other people who are following. In other words, this becomes a net. Remember what Jesus said to the first disciples? I'll make you fishers of men. So we get to be knotted together with people we wouldn't otherwise be knotted together with. Have a look around. <laughs> God just tied you into something that you might not have chosen. But somebody said, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. And you showed up and here you are. And now God's knotting you into a net. Jane and I were with Peter Wins and a whole bunch of folks yesterday. Some of you know Peter. and We're developing a, a closer relationship with, with Peter and a lot of his influence across the state. Which is wonderful because we get to meet amazing people. For the sake of time, let me just tell you one. Because as God ties you into the net, you get to be encouraged by the fish getting caught in other places. <laughs> All right? It's this guy called Cyril Prabhu who leads a ministry to people in prison seeking to rewrite the story of prison. Because here in America, the story of prison, especially here in South Carolina, I didn't realize that eight, nine years ago, the Department of Corrections in South Carolina was the largest employer in the state. Because we had so many prisoners. And we had the highest rate of incarceration in the, in the, in the United States here in South Carolina, eight, ten years ago. And we have one of the highest recidivism rates. You understand what recidivism is, where somebody completes their sentence, gets let out, does it again and comes back. Or does something else again and comes back. In other words, locking them up doesn't work, because just go out and do it again. 67% in South Carolina, when Cyril and his folks started working here. What they do is they, it's completely optional, nobody is forced, and it's completely secular, although it's run by Christians. They invite prisoners to reconnect with their children, and they, get, they work it out for the children to go into the jail to meet with their parent, whether male or female, mother or father, and the prisoner washes their children's feet 
and asks forgiveness. Now that's a good idea, isn't it? <laughs> we all know why. But there's no mention of Jesus at this point. This is the beginning of this program. And then they teach them why this works and why this helps. It's very, very powerful. Cyril was telling us yesterday that now through their program, their recidivism rate of the people who've completed their program is not 67%, it's 1%. And for the ladies in the women's prisons, it's zero. They have not had a single person who's completed the program, a single lady who's completed the program who has gone back into jail. I don't know about you, but that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up, right? Because God is up to something. Because the Department of Corrections is no longer the biggest employer in South Carolina. Five jails, five prisons have closed in South Carolina since they started doing this. You don't see this on the news because it doesn't get highlighted. College. Oh yes, that's right. And so the ones who complete, uh, the children of, the, of the, the prisoners who complete this program, they raise funds to fund their college education. They have 80 children going through college right now. Their goal is to have a million children across the nation going through college because of this program. Guess what? You're tied in with this because God is knotting us all together. <laughs> That's why I follow Peter Wins. I don't do everything Peter does, but I connect with him because I grow from that connection. And he grows from that connection too. It's not a one-way street, it's a two-way street. But we all of us need people we follow. That's why I'm glad that Mark DuPont is bringing Murray and Ash with him uh, from Raleigh. Some of you have met Murray and Ash Smith, great friends of ours. I follow them. We follow them. We will talk to them about things that we need to, to decide in our lives as well as for the church. They're on our board so we're accountable to them for the way we lead here. We benefit from following other people. The greatest danger for all of us is to be independent. Because the more independent I am, the less I can say to you, follow me as I follow Jesus. I didn't mean I'm picking on you, you just have to be in front of me. <laughs> you actually do this very well. <laughs> So, summarize and we'll pray together. God created you to live your life saying to everybody you meet, whether with words or with actions or with lifestyle, follow me because I know someone who you want to meet. Follow me as I follow him. Follow me as I follow others who follow him. Follow me and get knotted in by God into the network of his family so that together we grow more like Jesus. Because God's primary purpose is to reconnect 
every human being created in God's image back into relationship with God. And you and I have a vital part to play in that happening, both by what we do to help people do that and by what we don't do that would be an obstacle to them doing that. So I want us to pray for boldness. And I want us to pray for, um, what's the word? Attractiveness. <laughs> that people would want to follow you. But I also want to pray for all of us to have freedom from all of the restrictions that religion has kind of tangled us in for those of us who've been following Jesus for a long time. Freedom from striving. Freedom from rules and regulations. Freedom from obligation that's not powered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit compels us, but religion obligates us. There's a huge difference. So I want to pray for Holy Spirit compulsion. That all of us would live our lives even more than we already do. In that mindset and in that anointing of, hey, follow me. Because I'm following him. And as you come with me and see, you'll encounter him in a way that's even greater than you ever thought. Is that okay? Why don't we stand together, just to say, if you're able, or if you're not able to stand, just hold your hands open, it's fine too. But what I'm doing by just changing my posture is saying, here I am, God. <laughs> here I am, God. So, Father, I want to fulfill your calling to disciple through every avenue of my life, through every aspect of my life. The way I talk, the way I behave, the way I love others, the way I react when people do me wrong, the way I pray, the way I relate to you. Father, I'm praying for boldness for every one of us. That each day we would step into the day knowing that as soon as we opened our eyes, you were right there saying, here I am, all authority is mine and I'm with you always. Even when the going gets tough, I'm with you, I'm here, you're mine. Father, let there be a boldness that comes from our knowledge of our identity in you. I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God. I'm a lover of others because I'm loved by him. Father, I pray for an increase of attractiveness. I believe everyone in this room is already very attractive to, to others for your sake. But I want to see an increase, Father, that each of us would experience more people coming to us saying, there's something about you, tell me about it. There's something about you. Help me get into that place of relationship with God that you clearly have. Father, let there be an increase of attractiveness in all of your children in this room. 
and all who are listening to this later. And Father, I also pray for a freedom for every one of us that we wouldn't disqualify ourselves by what we may have failed in in the past. That we wouldn't disqualify ourselves by looking only at our faults, but that we would know ourselves qualified because of our relationship with you. Father, you have many, many people in this area who are longing to find you. And here we are. We've found you. And you've found us. Now would you anoint us to be so attractive and so free in our love for you that many others find you too. We want to be like you, Jesus. Clearing away every obstacle of sickness, of demonic, of, of misunderstanding, of religious obligation. Clearing away every obstacle that would prevent anybody from reconnecting with you. And living our lives to say, come and follow and find the relationship you were created for. Would you do it in me, Lord? And all God's people said, yes and amen. Amen. To finish, would you find someone you know at least vaguely and bless what you see of Jesus in them so they will let it shine as they leave? Make sense? We'll see you next week.